everyone to the rest podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Roberts, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Good morning, Dr. Cowden. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. We are so thankful for the contributions you've made to this discussion of displacing confusion, chaos, and disease, especially as it pertains to physiology and anatomy and the health facets of our constitution. But I've never met a doctor that can speak to the spirit, the soul, and the body in the inner workings of those parts, especially as it pertains to healing as I have you. So thank you so much for joining me again today and just for being really the spine of rest pertaining to healing the whole person. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I invited you to join me this morning because I wanted to speak to the connection between fear and cancer specifically. And I don't know why, but as we were starting this podcast, I thought it would be productive if you could please describe what cancer is. Because I think there's a parallel between how cancer just is everywhere, but how it develops and how we can grow in an organism. And and I want people to understand what cancer is, how it develops, and why fear specifically is like adding fuel to the fire. Can you address that for us, please? Yes, about 40 years ago, there was a uh, research done where they found that when they did autopsies on people that died in auto wrecks uh, from one month of age to 80 something years of age, and they did fine slicing of their organs, uh, pathologists did, they found cancer cells in every one of those people, okay? So it didn't matter whether you're one month of age or whether you're 80 years of age, everybody's forming cancer cells in their body every day. And, you know, the cancer cells can either be identified by the immune system and removed as they're forming, which then results in no tumors, you know, and the tumors usually are the ones that cause the trouble. Or if the immune system is too weak, then the immune system can't find and get rid of the cancer cells as fast as they're forming. And then you do develop a tumor. Now, uh, people can develop cancer because of a lot of different emotions. In my experience, the very most common emotion is uh, anger and unforgiveness. Okay. But the second most common is fear. Okay. Now, uh, if a person has anger and fear, then very often those two emotions are entangled together. So I'll give you an example. A person has a good relationship with, or thinks they have a good relationship with someone else, and that someone else does something that's just really hard to deal with. Uh, you know, uh, you know, not expected. Uh, seems like it comes out of the blue, and it damages the relationship. Uh, irreparably. And so that uh, that person that's experienced this 
uh, feels that they have been wounded and it, and they have a lot of, of anger and, and a lot of frustration, at least, maybe even as, as well as anger toward that person because of what they've done that damaged the relationship. And they have a fear that that same thing is going to happen with future relationships that they have that were comparably deep. And, uh, and so the two emotions travel together forward in that person, causing eventually uh, cancer or some other severe chronic disease. Now, when we have anger, that's an emotion. And when we have unforgiveness, that's a spiritual issue, but they're tied together. And either one can cause cancer. Likewise, when a person has fear, very often the emotion of fear, the feeling of fear, causes them to open up a doorway into their being that allows the spirit of fear to enter in and have a spiritual influence on that condition. And so then they have both, you know, emotion and spiritual issues together when it comes to fear. Now, the spirit of fear doesn't like to hang around alone. The spirit of fear always wants to uh, invite in some of his buddies. So then the spirit of deception and, and other spirits come in and join the party with the spirit of fear. And then that further creates the chaos, confusion, and disease. And you know, pretty soon you have a, a major mess in there uh, on a physical level that, that resulted from uh, mental, emotional, and spiritual effects. That's what brought it on. Okay, that was the trigger. The work of Dr. Reiki Hammer in Germany from uh, 1978 forward until he passed away showed us that uh, that emotions are very, very, very often the trigger that brings on a cancer. Cancer cells are forming in our body because we've accumulated toxins from the environment, not just physical toxins, but also uh, electromagnetic toxins and emotional toxins and so on. And then at some point, that that creates a, uh, the, the foundation for which a an emotional trigger can bring on the cancer fairly quickly. And cancers are coming on faster now than they were just three years ago because the, uh, the injection that so many people have taken have profoundly suppressed their immune system and made them more susceptible to cancer. Dr. Ryan Cole, in, in his uh, laboratory out in Idaho, found that after just one year of people taking the COVID injections, that there was already a 20-fold increase in endometrial carcinoma by pap smears. That's a cellular level of cancer. That's not a tumor level yet. And so we know that, that a lot of those microscopic cancers are going to become cancer tumors in the women that had those abnormal pap smears. And that's, that's, that's tragic, but it's, it's tw a 20-fold increase is, is not just a little bit. That's a massive amount. And we're already seeing people developing cancers as a result of having taken the jab and all the other emotional turmoil that they're in right now, severe frustration, fear of death from the from the so-called so COVID illness or the COVID shedding and all that other stuff. And so the combination of all that is increasing the, the development of cancers and the rate of growth of the cancers. And Dr. Cole calls the t cancers that are developing now turbo cancers because in the old days when a person would develop a cancer, they would go from the first diagnosis until death in about two to three years. 
But now a lot of people that develop that, that are that are being diagnosed with cancer are dead within two to three months. So it's increased the, the, the rate of the growth of the cancers by about uh, 10 to 12 fold. And, uh, you know, we, we, need to, we need to be aware of that and do something about it. So given the conditions with the epidemic that we're coming out of, and it looks like they're, they've been announcing for some time, we're heading into another one. So these pandemics of, of sorts, if you will, that's one factor and the emotional constitution factor is another part of the disease and as you know because so many doctors refer me their patients i don't diagnose i don't treat i don't cure i work with what is there and i help people navigate the confusion chaos and disease that comes sometimes with the practical aspects of their lives in dealing with these diagnoses. So given what you just described, the emotional constitution of disease is something that people can access, remedy, do something about immediately. And I happen to believe because I've seen, I've witnessed firsthand what dealing with the emotional constitution of diseases can do almost immediately to change the trajectory of somebody's life. Yes, so let's start with that practically. Yeah. Can you address that for a minute? Before you do, before you address that for the sake of clarity, because I'm very consistent with our listening audience talking about discussing, commenting on the difference between feelings, happy, sad, confused with emotions that are the expression of those feelings. Yeah. I tend to think that anger is one of those complex things. I personally tend to observe that a person harbors bitterness in their heart and the expression of that bitterness, that unforgiveness, if you will, that feeling emotes in anger. So the emotion is a function of the body, the external, the limbic system, but yeah. usually behind anger. And I just wanted to draw that distinction. You and I talk so often, right? But I wanted people to not get confused that anger is generally what we see people emote. It comes from their reactivities, their limbic system, but the root, the internal cause of that is unforgiveness and it is bitterness and it is fear. And those things are generally at the root of what we judge as emotions. Can you expound on that a little bit, just for the sake of clarity? Yeah, the emotion of, of anger uh, is oftentimes not fully understood by people. I, I asked a fellow one time, uh, you know, do you have anger towards anybody? He said, no. I said, are you frustrated with anybody? Oh, hell yes. <laughs> 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 and uh, so, so they didn't, he didn't realize that, that, that those are just two, two parts of the same thing. Okay? Yeah. The annoyance and the frustration yeah, yeah. is an internal cause. Yeah. Yeah. Of, yeah. That, that, yeah. That, that, that's the feeling. Okay. And then when they start raging towards somebody, 
then that that becomes an emotion. You know, they're, 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 it's, 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 I call it completely filled up their being and now it's overflowing. Okay. And so then at that point, they, they develop uh, much more trouble from that than they did just when it was a, a feeling. But uh, I like how you just explained that because I think that's a good way to understand the distinction between feelings, which is an internal function negotiated by the mind, the heart, the will, the conscience of a person, the soul. But when that isn't negotiated, it isn't reconciled, it isn't processed, it isn't talked about, it isn't flushed out, there is an overflow into these other emotions that are perplexing. But what's interesting is we react to the emotions of what somebody's emoting, obviously, but we tend to react to those and don't delve into, wow, I wonder what's going on with that person to that. One of my favorite words is wonder to wonder what's behind that emotion. And we tend to either assault, fight back or retreat or become, there's an ambivalence that happens, right? And reacting to somebody else's emotions. And I want people to understand that we don't have to default to anything. We can wonder, we can ask questions and thereby yeah. helping each other heal, I think, yeah, yeah. through these difficult transactions and these difficult times we're finding ourselves in. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, uh, that I've often done in the past when I see somebody emoting anger, I I wonder, you know, what their parents were like and where did they pick up the foundation for that anger? Uh, was it intrauterine, which I've seen on many occasions? Yeah. Or, or was it in early childhood? And so instead of judging them and being critical of the fact that they're emoting anger, uh, you know, start just asking them some non-threatening questions. You know, uh, what do you know about uh, the time that you were in your mother's womb being formed there? What, what, what do you know was going on in her life? What do you know was going on in your father's life? Yeah, those, those, those have an influence on us now as adults. That's right. And 100% of the time, you were being literally formed in your mother's womb. And you're not responsible for any of it you're carrying a lot of things and isn't that the story of mankind and that's yeah. how these sins if you will these violation of conscience are passed on from generation to from generation to generation right so yeah. to some extent i think we can have a measure of we should we must have a measure of compassion for one another as we don't understand the narratives of those stories. Yeah, yeah. We, we haven't had to walk in their shoes all the mm -hmm. way back to the time when they were first conceived and through the pregnancy while they were in the womb as a little emotional sponge sopping up the emotions of mom and sopping up the emotion of dad without any capability of processing and releasing any of those emotions. So all those emotions are just trapped in that little fetus that finally becomes a child. And so that's the foundation for the rest of their life. You know, so if mom or dad were feeling tremendous anger and frustration while this fetus was forming in the womb, then that child and subsequently adult 
are going to struggle with anger and frustration probably until they finally realize what I just said. Exactly. And we're not going to get into that right now, but as Dr. Gilbert Renald mentions in the pyramid of health, we see that that drama really cyclically attempts to reconcile throughout the course of that person's life. And we see that in repetitive patterns as we begin to lay out and document the narrative of those stories. It's pretty remarkable to see, actually. I was working with a female in her late 40s, cancer patient, had a 17-year-old son, and while she was going through treatment at the center, they asked me to work with her to see if I could help put together these puzzle pieces, begin to assemble the picture of what's behind the cancer with, alongside with them. That's why I don't have to diagnose, treat, or cure. I have to get information from the people I'm working with, as you well know. And the central nervous system, for me, the anatomy of the person and some of these biometric resources that we use are fantastic to help us confirm or deny the, the suspicions of the information, the, the things we suspect to be the case, right? We can quickly eliminate or begin to construct these storylines. And we do have technologies to, and you're familiar with everything I use to help us verify or deny the merit of what they're saying. But I'll never ever forget in a two hour session, we ended up laying out the narrative pretty much of her story. And we continued to build it out during the course of that month. And it was unbelievable from birth to age three, six, nine onward, we saw the parallels that every single decade of her life, I think we went in 20 year increments and we saw the consistency of the events that developed with great consistency correlating with those early childhood developmental experiences. It was an amazing thing to witness and certainly our sweet friend, John Grant, that recently passed. We're hosting an event, by the way, in his honor, because these were his dying wishes, that this, this story wouldn't die with him, but that mm. I would continue telling the story if I would have only known that I could have broken these cycles that kept showing up in my life. And you're right, it's from these narratives that are generational that we're carrying in our bodies that we know nothing of. But when we if we're willing to look at these patterns, knowing absolutely nothing's random under the sun, we begin to draw these correlations and say, wait a minute, I don't want that. Well, in this specific case, this patient could not believe what she was seeing. And I'll never forget one day I asked her to go home and draw me a picture. If it was on a napkin, if it was on a huge canvas, I didn't care if she drew it, if she painted it, if she went out and gathered leaves and sticks and wanted to illustrate the anatomy and the drama that was taking place in her reproductive organs. What she drew for me was absolutely unbelievable. She came with this masterpiece. I thought I was going to get a little sketch on a napkin. And the drama. 
and the illustration of what she did, of, of what she created, which just took my breath away. And I remember asking her for her three-inch pack stack of spreadsheets, diagnoses, meds, everything. I asked her for her file and I threw it on the floor and I spread, I spread out all the papers, threw them on the floor. And then I put her painting on the floor, her illustration, artist rendition of her condition. And I said, there you have it. They both tell you a story. You're going to have to decide which one will dictate the narrative of your condition and where you go from here. And Dr. Cowden is, God is my witness. In two weeks, she went into full remission. And she left the clinic, had absolutely nothing. And this woman was tormented, lived as if every test result we got from Germany, from all over the world we were sending, specifically Germany. She lived with that. It was her Bible. But when she got that information back, and I said that to her, she didn't say a single word to me. She said, I'm going to think about this. I'm going to deeply think about this. And of course, I saw her a few more times. Do you know, complete remission. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. And I still talk to her today, by the way. And she said, you got to tell the world about this. We can't stop. People have to understand this. And she and John and Jane Nightbird and um, you know, Leslie more recently and a few people that I've loved and lived with have changed the trajectory of my life and certainly the things I, the information I want to pass on to others. Yeah, uh, you've changed their trajectory too. Uh, well, and, yeah. and we're not going to die. We slip from one state of being to another. The question is, where do we want to end up? And yeah. I think not giving cancer that kind of power becomes instrumental in the narrative of our lives, knowing that everything we experience in time is temporary to some extent. But there's that quiet, still voice inside of us that says we were meant for more than this. And we see that something inside of us, we're going to transcend through this place. And I want people to understand the practical aspects of cancer and flushing out these feelings, these emotions and connecting these dots becomes really important. And I love how you always go back to the womb because that's where the real mysteries lie in the narratives of our own parents' lives and what was going on with them the year before they conceived us because that really makes up so much of our anatomy. In the old days, most people would develop cancer when they were about 50 or 60 years old. So the analogy that I would make to the patient is that they were living on the 50th or 60th floor of their multi-story building. And the building was swaying like this. And, and before they came to me, they were rearranging the furniture on the 50th or 60th floor. It wasn't making much difference in the swaying of the building. And so I would say, well, why don't you go down to the first floor? That's the first year of your life or the second or the third floor. Uh, when you accumulated a lot of e uh, emotions and feelings that you didn't know how to process and release. So you just trapped them and work on those. And so they would work on that and the building would become a little less unstable. And I say, okay, that's a good, that's a good step. Now, why don't you go to the basement and work on the stuff that's there? That's the, that's the mom and dad's emotions primarily that you picked up while you were in the womb. And so the building would become more stable. And then 
uh, I said, well, okay, now, now why don't you go to the sub-basement? That's where the grandparents' stuff resides. And so you work on that stuff, and the big building becomes even more stable. And say, sometimes you have to go to the sub-sub-basement where your, where your great-grandparents' uh, stuff resides and work on that. But at some point, finally, the building becomes perfectly stable, and they're no longer having to rearrange the furniture on the 60th floor. That's so good. What's happening now, the sway is violent in the first and second and third floors. Mm -hmm. We're seeing it in children. We're seeing it in teenagers. We're seeing it in adolescents. We're seeing yeah. it. Consequently, yeah. there's so much cancer because there's so much mental illness, and we're seeing the collapse yeah. of the dis-ease of a generation is manifesting in diseased states. Yeah. One of the things that I would uh, strongly urge each of the younger people that are listening to this, you know, that, that are in the years uh, where they are thinking about getting married and having children, I would strongly, strongly urge them to go back and work on their building structure before they uh, have children. Because if you don't work on your building structure before you have children, then your children are going to have to work on their building structure. And it's going to be a lot harder for them because it's all at a subconscious level, but you know, as an adult, you can, you know, do do some work on those things and get a bunch of that stuff out so that it doesn't affect your the next generation. That's right. Listen to our podcast. We have the forty days of rest coursework that you and I navigate conversations and discussions in. But beyond that, I want to encourage people that do have children, even if your children are in their you know, teens or 20s or 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, it doesn't matter. If you're living and you're hearing this podcast, listening to this podcast right now, know that you can break those generational patterns with a conversation of, I never told you this, but, or I've been thinking deeply about this, or I just heard Dr. Cowden and Virginia Dixon have a discussion about building structures, foundations, as an analogy to the stability of my life and the trajectory of my life. And they went all the way down to the subfloors of a structure. And I've realized that we've been swaying as a family for a long time. And I want to talk to you. I want to tell you some things I've never said. So that can be remedied in a brief conversation with adult children, if you're on your mm -hmm. deathbed, if you know you only have days or months to live intuitively, you just know that, then, wow, these can be the most beautiful days and months of your life. You can have these amazing conversations with people you love. And I've had the joy of being with hundreds of people in those final hours. And they lived more in those weeks and in those days, sometimes in those months that they did during the course of their whole life, in spite of the pain, because yeah. we were able to eradicate the fear by reconciling the feelings of fear, of confusion, of disease, of all these other feelings that they've harbored that were really behind the anatomy of their disease states, right? And they were able to reconcile those and heal. So I think that's hope for today. Any thoughts on that before I move on? 
No, you're absolutely right. Uh, we can make a difference at any time. It doesn't have to be at a specific time in our life, but uh, any time we realize, oh, I should do something about that, then you, sure. you know, you have have the conversations you just talked about, and uh, it can make a difference in the next generation. We must make a difference. Look around you. Look at the times we're living in. Look at the confusion, chaos, and disease in our midst. This is our greatest contribution. You don't have to hold public office. You don't have to. It's your sphere of influence is your primary responsibility. And you can change the narrative of your whole life, brutal as it may be, hopeless mm -hmm. as you may feel, right? As no matter how many regrets you have, how much shame you're carrying, it doesn't matter. That can end today when you realize that we share this thing called humanity and all of us are broke, come from, to some extent, broken homes and perfect people. And don't rationalize, by the way, because you love people, the reality of what you lived with. You can have love and appreciation and still re recognize that the way you were parented, the way you were spoken to, the way your family negotiated conflict really has caused you a lot of instability in your personal life. And that's okay. That isn't to blame or shame or anything. It's just called something what it is. So you can begin to flush out the feelings that come with that. And they, the emotions, right, from the limbic system can stop hijacking your life. And I think that's why this discussion is so important, especially as it pertains to cancer. We, we don't have to become a victim of our past. That's right. Okay. We can become a victor over our past by doing the things you just talked about. That's right. Thank you so much, Dr. Cowden. This was fantastic. And it reinforces a lot of things that I neglect to keep at the forefront of my thoughts. So thank you. You're very welcome. All right, everyone, I have a quick update for you. With Virginia launching her book next year, our team has been working tirelessly to create a brand new streamlined website with a new domain, theplaceofrest.com. This will be launching next week on November 3rd. It will include readily available information, podcasts, resources, and events, making everything quickly accessible to help you become focused intentional, and successful in displacing obstructions that would otherwise derail your life. Our original domain, virginiadixon.com, will later be used as Virginia's author website. But until then, it will automatically forward you to the new site. For updates about REST and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of REST. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of REST, please go until next week to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week. <laughs>